it's not prison fault. It's the culture. At a young age, they went in, they're used to it, they are exposed to all kinds of people. All these people inside will not teach you to be good. And if you continue to bond with them, especially if you are drug addict, what are the chances that you will go back to drug after coming out? I've seen quite a few guys leaving after me and then after that coming in before I left. So I asked them, how can you back again? They always tell me, Bobian, no choice. You have to understand, they don't know how to survive outside. They have no education. They have no friends. Their friends are gangsters. will lead them back to the same thing. Thirdly, their characters are already set in. They are used to prison lifestyle. You know, getting agitated, very angry about small, small little things. And most importantly, maybe they just keep thinking that, you know, their life is over. Sadly, this statement will eventually become true after a certain age, usually after 50 years old. Maybe pushing it 55. Because after that, you are considered an old man and you have been in and out of prison forever. What more can they do or contribute? That's why as they get older and older, they will be more and more depressing. A few elderly in their late 50s, 60s, they are telling me they already gave up. There is nothing waiting for them outside. In fact, some of them are so comfortable that they commit some petty theft to just go back in. Laundry is taken care of. Medication is taken care of. Meals are taken care of. Yeah, rental is taken care of. So they have everything taken care of. The only thing they don't have is the freedom. It's a very realistic thing. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 102 of the So This Is My Wife podcast. I'm your host and producer, Ling Ya, and today's guest is quite unusual. He's Nottle Tube, an ex-convict and former secret society member who also used to run one of Singapore's top social escort businesses before he was caught and imprisoned for nearly seven years. This is a very unusual episode, but also an important one because I've always wanted Steamy to feature guests from different parts of society, not just your Forbes billionaires and successful artists, but also those who end up on the wrong side of the law. What led them there? Where were their experiences and lessons learned? And there is a lot to be learned here. Some of the things we talked about, how Nottle went from being a crazy rich Asian to joining secret society, what it means to be a secret society member, the concept of trust and brotherhood, what the initiation process is like, and how he ended up leaving. Why he started social escort business and grew up to one of the top businesses around, and how he ended up being caught after nearly seven years. As well as what he was like in prison, and how he managed to shake off his depression and suicidal thoughts. And also why he believes that 80% of ex-convicts can't be helped. We touched on some pretty heavy topics here, so check a warning. Now, are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. I thought we should start our interview by talking about your name. It's a very unusual name, Nottel. What's the story behind it? Is that your real name? Yes, it's a name that I've given myself. And the story is because of life before my incarceration. I named myself Elton since 15 years old, I think. So yeah, I went to prison and after that coming out, I thought, you know, my life has been turned around. Nota is actually the turnaround version of Elton. On top of that, Nota actually sounds like noble. 
but replacing the B with a T, which represents a cross. So that makes having a cross at the center of my life, I thought, yeah, sounds good. So I started using it. So before we talk about your current life, let's talk about your previous life. At the very, very beginning, I understand that you kind of grew up like a crazy rich Asian, right? Your dad basically produced 80% of printed plastics in Singapore, which is a lot. It's actually more than 90% because they covers all the big brands back then. So what was it like? Well, I had a lot of money to spend. You have to bear in mind that 30 years ago, I was having allowance like every month about $400. On top of that, because my father's factory is very near my school and my house, maybe two or three times a week. After school, I would walk over or take a bus to his factory, meet him a while, ask him for more allowance, and he would just pass me a 50, 100. So all in all, I would say every month I will have maybe $700, sometimes closing to 800 kind of spending power. This money are just purely for me to spend. My dad was a philanderer, so he was most of the time not at home. My mom, because of this, was driven into mental illness. So I was pretty much left to my own. Nobody there to discipline me. My mom, she had her part-time freelance accounting job. So she goes to work in the morning and then be back home around one or two. After she come back, she will just lie down on the sofa and start watching her TV throughout all the way. Evening time, go to my grandma's house to have her dinner. After having her dinner, she will come back and continue watch her show until 10 plus, 11. Then I have to wake her up to ask her to go to the room to sleep. She will fall asleep on the sofa. So that's how my life was. The only real bonding I have is with my friends. I was a hedonist, always thinking of having fun. Every school day, I can be out there playing. I can come home late at night, doesn't matter. During my secretary holidays, I still remember. The entire June holiday, I only went home to sleep for three days. The rest of the time, I was always out there hanging out at East Coast Park. or I would be just at my friends uh, crashing. Uh. I didn't see anything wrong about that. I didn't realize it was not supposed to be this way because nobody told me so. I remember one of my friend's parents asked me before, hey, you stay out over here so frequently, won't your parents worry? My very instinctive reply to them is, no, I don't think they really bother. To me, I see it as a norm. In fact, I also can't understand some of my fellow friends when they say, oh, my parents don't allow me to come out. I was like, huh? Why? You know, that kind of thing. Who so, were your so- friends? What did they get you into? I have a group of different friends. Uh, my best friend, he was from the same primary school. So when I moved on to secondary, we are still closely in touch. But within my schools, there is two friends that were particularly close with me. One of them were the one who recruited me to join this secret society. This was when you were 16, right? What was the mm. story? Sec 4, yes, 16. My friend, let's just give him a name. We use alphabet to represent uh. One classmate is K and then one is E for better reference. So K one day ran to me and E and told us, hey, I got to know someone inside this secret society that is of very high ranking. And he wants to recruit us. If we agree, right, this guy right, will make us four or five rank above from the bottom tier. So we don't start from the bottom. Bottom, we usually call them Yina. Yina actually is a Hokkien for kids, so for low level lah. For the beginning. So we will be placed at 4th and 5th. If I don't remember wrongly, right, K will be at the 5th rank and I will be on the 4th rank. If I remember correctly, the 4th rank is what we call Hua Si. Hua si, I'm also not very sure, but if 
not wrong is the person who can have a say. Then fifth one is thing called zhong. Yeah, I guess it, it means already the rank of like people who have a control over some subordinates. Uh, the kind of mm. How do you progress from each rank? Is it easy? I didn't actually stay long enough for any actual progression. From my understanding, as long as you have some contribution and you are active in the society doing their work and also recruiting, recruitment is one of the big, biggest factors. Uh. Similar to like MLM, the more under you, then you will earn more and then your tier will go up higher and higher the count. Was there an initiation process? No, the thing is that K told us, other than us being the fourth and fifth rank, he said that the person also throw us another perk. And that's the sweet deal that closed the whole deal. Lah. He promised that if we join, we will take control of the whole secondary school because we are set four. So anyone in our secondary school that belongs to our gang will report to us no matter what happened. They will have to consult us before settling things on their own. But that's only for the duration that you're in that school, which is another two, three years. Mm, kind of, two years. But that is already good enough, isn't it? What was it that drew you to the gangs? Was it, it sounds like it's power, but also perhaps belonging to something? Because you didn't have the family side, mm. right? Oh, no, no. Joining gang is not for belonging because I already mm. have my friends. But because we thought it's interesting and we all joined together, I'm close to my friend. So when my friend wants to join and I also think that it's quite fun, I join. For me, it's really more for the fun. I'm always about seeking fun and experiencing life. So joining Secret Society is also another form of experiencing life. But after we joined, indeed, this guy put us in control of the whole secondary school. When the lower set got into some trouble with some other people or from other gangs or just strictly within their classmates, during the recess time, come over to our upper set block to tell us what happened. Then we will settle for them in a way telling them, okay, meet us after school at the second floor toilet area. After school, we really meet there at the second floor toilet. Then one people will be looking out. Then we tell them, okay, by this one cigarette time, right, as we smoke, you guys have to stop the fighting. We would let them just do one-to-one. We don't matter. We don't do group bullying in this sense. We say, you all want to peacefully settle this or not. If not, then we will let you fight it out. If they choose to fight, then we just use one cigarette time. We finish the whole cigarette, you all have to stop. If not, whoever already got beaten onto the floor and can't get up. There's a few instances of this happening. Was there a limit to what you could do? The kind of punishment and rules that you could give? Or there was no guideline? Just whatever you felt like. Well, we were not shown any guideline. But of course, we are just secondary school students. We are not sadists. So we don't go around punishing people. You know, we just enjoy having the power and influence people, acknowledging us for being a high-ranking member. So why would all these people with all these disputes come to you? Is it because there was some kind of official announcement from the secret society and Mm. they all also belong to secret society? Correct. Once we are recruited, this man will pass down the message to his fellow members, letting them know that whoever that is under them and belongs to this secondary school will just start to report to us, uh, giving the name and which secondary, which class to look for. Maybe I also share with you another instance of something really major that had happened, which got me even more impressed in a way about joining Secret Society. One day, I also recruited two guys, just a couple of years younger than me. But you didn't go up to level 5. 
No, it's not that easy. Like, I mean, in just few months, it's just that because I joined already, so I have two friends, not from my secondary school, that, that were also close to me. So I said, hey, I tell them, hey, I joined this gang. Do you want to join me? You know, kids are just kids. They you were don't just, think uh, much. So one of these guys got into trouble. So uh, in the end, I met the person that he got into trouble with at this coffee shop in the afternoon after their school. So we discussed how to settle this because it's broad daylight. We say, okay, let's meet during the night time to, to settle this. The other person throw back to me, okay, can. In that case, let's meet 8 o'clock sharp at this block just nearby this coffee shop. I didn't think much of it. Okay, can. I'll see you then. After that, the guy was on bicycle, so he rode off. So I called the hitman and let him know what happened because we already briefed him on this incident. When I told him that we are meeting 8 o'clock sharp to talk through things, right? He was surprised. He said, what? He says 8 o'clock sharp, are you sure? And he asked me, do you know what it means or not? And I said, no, I have no idea. He said, in the secret society code, right? If you put 8 o'clock sharp, it means that there's no room for negotiation. It will be head-on gang fight. If you want to negotiate, discuss things, talk things through, the person should put a between time, like 8 to 8.10, 8 to 8.15. That means that there is room for discussion. So <laughs> we weren't brief about that. We being that young and our hitman didn't really go through a lot of this. After hearing that, I said, no, la, I don't think so. La. We are just youngster, teenager. I don't think he meant that. But my hitman say it's better to be careful in case he knows about this code. And that's why he is making it. So he said, okay, never mind. He will activate everybody. Yeah, seriously, everybody. When he said everybody, I thought he, it's just like maybe some of the ones that is closer to us, you know, or closer to him, that kind. In the end, during the night time, right, when I go down to that coffee shop again, that coffee shop was full house, really full house. Everybody was sitting and then trying to squeeze together. Uh, I stayed the very long it. The coffee shop was full. Then I got another friend at Lorong 1. He told me the coffee shop at Lorong 1 was also full. What I heard from the hitman, right? Even Amokyo, Ishan, Ishan, all the coffee shops, they are all full house, all standing by. Maybe to give you a context, my gang, can I say my gang name? Sure. My gang name is Ang Sun Tong. Those who are active or heard of it, right, would know that Ang Sun Tong are usually active from the north side on. So Papayo Bishan all the way until Yishun. At 8 o'clock sharp, me and the hitman and my friend who got into trouble and another few more, we went over to the block. We were waiting there. And shortly after, that guy came, but he only came with his elder brother. Did the so, guy know? He clearly didn't. He didn't. Well, I didn't even know. How would he know? Yeah, we were just two young, innocent kids acting tough, trying to be, you know, yaya, papaya, that kind of stage. So he and his brother walk over and you can really know that they are already fearing because there's already a few elderly standing there. Not just me and my friend. My head man is also of age. He's at least 30 plus 40 at least. And they walk over, they saw a lot of people. Then they start to talk in a very incoherent way. You can't help our teenagers suddenly so many people standing there and looking very fierce, seriously. Then I start to question those two. Why do you put 8 o'clock sharp? Do you know what it means or not? Do you know we mobilize 300 people just because of what you say? Huh? Then just start slapping them, <laughs> keep slapping them around. He was being told off. La. The two of them just, just have to take it in and he keeps saying, sorry, 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 and then start crying. <laughs> yeah, poor thing, right? I felt sorry for him, but I told myself I'm glad I'm not at that receiving end. And after that, they just let him leave and say, don't find trouble with our side anymore. That got me to think that, wow, 
it's nice to join gang, you know, have all this support, right? I mean, 300 people mobilized for your problem. So I keep enjoying myself, you know, hanging out void decks and coffee shops as and when they want us. Uh. Hanging out coffee shop and void decks is just to claim territory, showing your presence, meaning to say that you are taking care of this place. In case some other people come along, uh, you just tell them, hey, this is our place. Half a year later, we were called to this uh, coffee shop, Block Sakongchi 307, I still remember. We went down as per normal. We thought it's just a gathering as per usual. The three of us, K, E, and, and I, we went down and we sat down, ordered our drinks. Our drinks are actually free, you know, for everyone because as long as you belong to the gang, right, you can order for free because the coffee shop usually belong to our side. Ma. At least the owner will belong to us. What happened is they will always put certain amount of money, like a few thousand dollars, for the owner to deduct. La. We can order whatever we want. But of course, no alcohol, no cigarettes. La. Just purely drinks. So we ordered and then after that, we start chit-chatting as per normal. Then suddenly, our headman walked over and told us, okay, later uh, there will be a lorry coming. Everyone, including you guys, will go up to the lorry. On the lorry, there's a few fruit baskets. The fruit baskets are all the assorted weapons. You just pick whatever weapon you think you want. Then he told us, we are going out for a gang fight. Wow, that was the moment. So we tried to look calm and say, oh, okay, okay. But after he left, we look at each other, panic already. Hey, how are, how are? You can see fear in our eyes because this is the first time we are being arranged to go for a gang fight. It's really scary for us. Is this really happening? We are discussing what can we do, you know. Obviously, we can't get away now. If Chipang suddenly just stand up <laughs> and start walking off, the whole coffee shop is our people already. It's too obvious. They will definitely pull you back. It's like what they call deserter inside the army. They will punish this. Will be, of course, they will be punished. So we can't stand and leave. So we just start panicking and then just talking and, and discussing. We know we have to go through this. We started to strategize and think of all the ways that we can help each other. What we come up with is that once we reach the place, we will stand back to back in a triangular shape. We don't stand right at the front. We stand somewhere at the back row in a triangular shape, back to back, and help to fend each other off. Because in a triangular shape, you can see better. If it's two person, I can tell you it's more difficult. But triangular at least give us a better cover. We also thought that when the fight starts, when the people start moving forward to fight each other, we stand our ground. We don't move. We just stand there and wait for people to come to us instead. So as people move to the front already, they will be the one fighting them and fighting it out. So very unlikely that they will be coming into our side and fight. The most like one or two person. At least easier to defend. Then... Once it gets messy and chaotic, we agree that then we slowly move backwards. <laughs> slowly, step by step, moving backward in the triangular shape still until we are kind of out of sight. Right? Then we quickly ran off. I mean, we were not those are brave warriors. Even now, I would not want to unnecessarily get into any fights. So did it work? Mm, not exactly. <laughs> well, so what happened? Almost an hour later, we get more and more scared. Then our hitman suddenly came to us. Okay, guys, the gang fight has been cancelled because the police has got wind about the gang fight and they have warned us not to do anything stupid. When we hear this, we felt so relieved. But being the gangster, we have to act tough. The reply we gave him is, oh, then okay, no choice, some other time. Yeah. (laughs) So after that, were you trying to get out of the gang? I don't think it would be easy. Yeah, in fact, the next day, we... (laughs) 
started to discuss about this in school, the three of us. Uh, so we discussed and we realized this is not funny anymore. Having to control the school to run the whole school is one thing, it's all fun. But when it comes to gang fight, it becomes very real already. You will anytime get wounded badly, you may lose a part of your body, you know, being chopped off your hand or suffer some condition. Uh. So we said, okay, no, we have to, we have to leave. But living is not easy. There is still some conditions to be met. Nowadays, it's very simple. You just say you want to leave. They don't bother about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's now so nice. <laughs> yeah, now it's like really free member. Go in and out, no problem. Because firstly, our law and order is so much better now. Anybody try to be funny to do some punishment or disciplinary action, right? The police, if get wind of it, right, they will get into a lot of trouble. The members themselves, the elderly especially, know there's no point staying in secret society anymore. So they encourage them to study hard and work hard and be on your own. Why is there no point now? Because nowadays, secret society are mainly about doing business. If they need help, they don't need you to be in the gang to give you the job, correct? They'll just hire you off the streets like anyone uh, else. Correct. Last time, there are advisors, so-called, in the gang. It's now being replaced as lawyers. So whether the lawyers are the member itself or not, I don't know, but unlikely. They are probably just closely associated. But what about in your time and before? It would have been very different. My time, we were actually get a bashing. But the bashing is not so serious until you will have to be admitted into hospital. That was my time. Slightly earlier, one, two generation before me, the bashing will be quite serious. Usually you will end up having some fractured bones or even broken bones and will have to be admitted for a few weeks at least. In the 1800s or even in China earlier on, you have to give up a part of your body. And that usually depends on what your headman wants. It's not up to you to decide. They will tell you, okay, that kind of thing. For those who don't understand, if you want to leave, leave two of your fingers, something like that. That would be very pleasant, really. Some nasty one would just say, okay, leave down your left hand. But those are the, in the olden days, you can't compare. As we progress, it got better and better. Why now bashing is not so serious is because whenever they end up in hospital, right, police start to interview and take statement. They don't want all this to backfire. That's why even until now, no more such thing. Even bashing can be reported and they will also be getting themselves into trouble. But you must have also heard, like for those who decide to stay on, you said you weren't initiated before. But I suppose if you were to be properly part of the gang, there was some kind of ceremony? Yes, if you want to pursue secret society as a career path, then you can be offered to take the initiation ceremony. But that is only if you're serious about it. Initiation ceremony nowadays is no longer held in Singapore because, like I said, um, the police are very strict about this. They will tell you, okay, within these next few weeks, right, anytime we will give you a call, stand by your passport always with you, wherever you go. Once we call you, we will immediately come and pick you up. Then we will go out from Singapore to go to Malacca. And then after you cross the custom, they will blindfold you. Because they do not want you to snitch to the police. Huh? They don't want you to be familiar with the route. Usually, it's going to some kind of plantation. Then there will be a kind of a, a building, a very basic building. You go in, there will be an altar right in front. And the altar will have all the joystick incense. And there will be a rice bowl with a rice wine inside. There's a big piece of paper. With all the rules and regulations written, usually it's the tea house rules. 
you are to abide by them. They will sacrifice a chicken to show their determination to join. Usually, it will be like 20, 30 over people at one time joining. Each person will take turn and go to the rice wine there. Either use, use a pin or use a knife to slit your fingers and drip some blood into the rice wine. After that, you'll recite the piece of paper of the house rules, read through them. Once you have read through them, you will smudge your thumb with the blood and thumbprint onto the paper. Everyone take turn. Once done, they take the rice wine, stir it, and pass to everyone to take a sip. Once that is done, it represents blood is in my body and my blood is in your body. So we are born by this blood. We are blood brothers. That piece of paper will be kept somewhere secret. Only the top two, three of the main leaders will know where they keep this piece of paper. Because if these people were found, right, a lot of people go jail lah, for a long term. Uh, under a charge called 55. 55 means they can immediately throw you in the prison and lock you up without going for trial. Oh yeah, lawyer, you should know. I don't know about 55. I don't do criminal law. <laughs> uh, my understanding is this rule is only applicable in Singapore and Hong Kong. No other country has it. Even now? Yeah, 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 yeah. There are many people inside 45. How so, long? Mm, What's the sentence like? There's no time limit for that. Minimum three years. After three years, they will review your case every year. If mm. they deem that you have changed and not so heavy secret society mindset, then they will release you. What's the secret society mindset? You know, like brotherhood, supporting their gang no matter what, you know, every day shouting their slogan. Or, what is know, the slogan? Huh, you never heard of it? There's a few, well, for, for 369, it's actually like, I think you heard it, like, ow, 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 that kind of thing. So when people shout, ow, ow, everybody knows this belongs to the 369. All this is just a Hokkien way of saying, nah, you can add whatever you want. Nah. That's why it's very commonly shouted out in discos. They are dancing, sing, then they will shout, and everybody will shout together. People with heavy secret society mindset will be kept longer. Not just that, they always believe inside the prison to be the one in charge and then help distributing things, help arranging things. The prison warden will know about it. They and they will allow it or they will stop it? They will catch it when they found it. That's why when they were caught, they knew that this person is being active. Wouldn't people in prison, especially for a long time, feel like their gang abandoned them? No, there's a lot of gang members inside. What are you talking about? Prison, at least a good 70% are secret society members. I don't have the statistic, but I look around, everybody is belonging to some gang. How does trust operate in a secret society? You have to understand one thing. Secret society is really not much different from any association or any social gathering. Yes, there may be people who don't have the proper mindset. But end of the day, they're still human. They still behave much like normal people. Just that they have more flaws than usual. They have their drugs addiction. They have their anger. But of course, there are some who, if they are con, then people will know and they won't trust him or even will kick them out of the gang. But I can tell you, secret society, actually, they talk a lot about brotherhood, about loyalty. So there's no need to talk about trust. Like how you, you and your friend would trust each other after some interaction long enough knowing his character. Gang members have this mindset about being loyal, being just. What does justice mean? To stand up for brothers, to let people bully us. When brothers are in need of help, we will help out. In fact, trusts are easier built. A lot of time, trusts are being misplaced inside. I mean, there are the good ones and the bad ones. Uh, because someone got into drug addiction or gambling addiction and then 
So go to your friend, help me out. You earn a lot of money. I need this, need that. Because of the so-called brotherhood, they have to support each other. They will help whenever they can. Wow. You mentioned that they always talk about brotherhood. Were there specific things they always did to create that feeling of we are brothers? Kind of. But it's really more like hanging out. Law. Hanging, hanging out, out in coffee shops, just spending time together. Yeah, teacher. And they always try to look for trouble. And then they will support each other. In a way, when people look for trouble, you have to support them. Kind of silly. Yeah. And in fact, right, they train you to look for trouble at the beginning stage. Not my gang. Me and my three friends didn't do that. But, you know, I got this best friend who is in first of you. So I hang out a lot with them. Uh. What happened is when they recruit someone new, right, then, then we will go to avoid that around, sit around, right. We will wait for prey to pass by. Then the new recruit, right, will say, okay, you see that boy over there? Go up to him, find him trouble. Just look at him and then call up to him and like, for example, Oi, what's this song? That kind of thing. I don't like you. I don't like your face. Why are you around here? They kind of, then after that, keep trying to find a lot of troubles. And it's more like what they so-called build confidence. In fact, yeah, try to ask them to find trouble and try to want to get to, into fight. Lah. Fights will encourage for my friend's side, not my side. Because oh, my friend's side is really huge gang. It's a my, totally different gang. Totally different. His is 369. That's why I know about all the slogans because I hang out with his group of friends to disco quite often. They have at least 10 over people. The usual ones that hang around. The extended one can be 20, 30 over people. How many gangs were there? Could you identify them? I can't recall all. I can only know the few major ones. As you know, because it's in Chinese character, this is the more traditional one. There's 369, there's 21, there's 24, there's 18... And that's 08. So the biggest one will be like Ang Sutong, 369, and Sapui. Rumors have it that 18 was actually branched out from 369 a long, long time ago. You plus 369 together, it's in number 18. There are rumors, the numbers originated long time ago when the coolies were here, right? And they formed their own gang or this, right? Then they branched out. It's because of the coolie house that they were staying in, the number. You know, the shop house? That's why usually there's, their number are quite close. You don't get 78, you don't get 90 something. It's always Kong Pui, Di Itiong, DC. It's, but of course, 18, as people, some people say, is originated from 369. So I'm not too sure. And how did 369 came about? I have no idea. But what if you talk to a person and you said, hey, let's meet at 8 o'clock sharp. And you don't know, you think that he's not in the game, but he actually is. Or do you just make it a practice to never say stuff like that? No, you have to understand, 8 o'clock sharp, I don't think it's commonly used among the youngsters anymore. So even when I brought this up with some of my gangster friends, they were not aware of it. I was quite surprised. If I didn't went through that incident, I also would not believe that that is one of the things. And because now I don't really mingle with secret society members, you see. So when I talk to people to meet up with them using 8 o'clock sharp, is okay. But who used the word sharp? If you meet up with your friend, you'll just say, hey, let's meet at 8 o'clock, right? I, I don't avoid using it, but I also don't use it. Fair enough. So after you left the gang, you later, when you were 16, started a social escort business. Why did you start that business? I can't remember very clearly. If I'm not wrong, it's in the year 2006 or five. I saw in the news, there was this announcement that Mr. Lee, our forefather, Mr. Lee, he announced that he is going to build this integrated resort, aka casinos. I was thinking, hey, casino gambling, 
these type of activities are usually hand in hand tied down with uh, the other ice trade, you know, being drugs. Trust me, a lot of people book the hotels to take drugs. Those are the richer people and they don't usually get caught. Woe to those poorer ones who can't afford proper hotel stay. They either use the budget hotel or just at their own house and they are easily traced and caught by police. So drugs is one thing and then other thing, you know, sex service. I thought, okay, let's try to see if I can start this escort agency business to provide escort service to those high rollers, whoever that is coming in. So I went to Accra, this file, to register the business. I went to the website, check it out. And true enough, I can register social escort. It's a legal enterprise. Yeah, I thought it means being legal. Many people know what is social escort. Do you know what is social escort business? You accompany someone in a social setting. Yes, many people know that escort service is actually providing the escorting time, but also providing sex service to the clients. This is a common thing in Europe, America, Australia, and almost all the countries, even in Japan and Korea. So I thought, oh, okay, interesting. Singapore also allows it. So I registered for it. I thought what I need to do is just arrange for them to meet up somewhere. Then they proceed with what they are doing. I'm not liable for it. I thought that's how this escort business runs. Because if you provide prostitution service, you will have a house where you keep them and will patronize. I thought I didn't house any girls. I just arranged meet up with the customers, usually to the customer hotel or outside in a public meeting area. And after that, what they do is between the two of them. And I never thought that I'm doing this illegal. But so you put your name down. Yeah, you know, usually you doing vice trade, right? All the illegal business is a common practice that you will hire a scapegoat. We call we so called someone to sit there for you when you get in tr- into trouble. Someone that I sponsored to a sex forum advised me, hey, why don't you hire a scapegoat? And you know what I told him? Oh, I'm running it legit. I register my company and doing it properly, submitting tax. I don't think I need a scapegoat how wrong I was. <laughs> Where did the girls come from? I mean, they weren't coerced in any way. I would say 99% were all local girls. I advertised inside this newspaper called The New Paper. Oh, you even advertised in newspaper? Mm-hmm. Wow. What did the advertisement say? I mentioned female escort needed high income, easily over 10,000. And then interested, call this number. That's it. Wow. And you got lots of response. Mm. And to tell you the truth, I'm actually the very first one to advertise inside a new paper. Like when you flip the new paper, you will only see my advertisement. How did you come up with the idea? Were people against it, advising you not to do it? Nobody advised me not to do it. To be fair, not many people knew that I'm going to this trade. I thought that since I can register the company, it will advertise sense. like any other company. Yeah, it will make sense that I can advertise, right? And I went to SP, SPH, Singapore Press Holding, very near me, Topayo. I asked them, look, I have this uh, registration for this escort agency business. Can I advertise? Then they say, yes, you can, but only in selected newspaper. You can't advertise in Straits Times. That's all. I can advertise in the new paper. I can advertise in Xinmin Wanbao, Xinmin Ribao, Yanhe Wanbao. I mean, Xinmin Zaobao. It's Yanhe Zaobao. Yeah, there's many, but I don't believe in advertising in the Chinese sector because the market sector is smaller. 
their readership is so advertised in the new paper. Why? Because whoever can read English to me is educated. If they take the effort to read newspaper, they must be educated. Don't get me wrong. Before me, there's already escorts business around. But they recruit through words of mouth, friends of friends. And usually those are being recruiting alien. So the caliber wasn't exactly up there. They are quite rough in the way they speak and they smoke. Vulgarity is common for them. When I advertise, those people who call in those better educated ones. So in a way, I'm the only one there. Within the first few weeks, I already recruited many, many girls. And true enough, their education level is higher and they are more refined. And that boosts my popularity. Just within a few years, I got more popular. But of course, with popularity, people will find out where I advertise. And within half a year, you'll see a couple of other escort advertisements. One year plus later, you'll see like almost 10 of them. Another two, three years, you will see like 10 over 20. And by 2014, before I was arrested, there was like 20 plus 30. Wow. Yeah, every day. Every day. Wow. So what was the onboarding process like for the girls? They had a form to fill and all that, right? Yes. That's actually the thing that set me in as evidence. (laughs) I need them to fill in the form of their full details because I tend to be more protective of the girls. I don't want them to end up later meeting with the client and the clients expect some service and the girls are unwilling because they are just not that open for all this stuff. So I ask in detail what kind of things they can do, cannot do, and then I just take accordingly. But to be fair, when they call right or text, I will explain to them first what is it about. I will tell them they can think about it. Don't rush into it. Even when they came for the interview, when I talk to them and I sense that this girl is definitely not ready yet, she just desperately need the money for it. I would tell her, I'd like you to go back and think about this for one week. I explain that this is not a normal job. It is something that if you're not ready for it, it will scar your life forever. I really want you to think about it because from our conversation, I sense that you are not yet ready for this type of job. So I give you one week. What does that mean, not being ready? Some of the conversation, I know that this girl is more reserved. You can tell that you have friends who are more open-minded in their thinking. Some girlfriends who are more conservative. In my interview, I ask them all the services and all this. And when they answer, sometimes they will be uh, hesitant. Bits and pieces here and there. Not like, don't dare, but yet kind of being forced to say it because they need the money. So you can sense it. It's nothing complicated. It's just the human class you will know. So yeah, I told her, go back, think about it for one week. If after one week, you still think that you want to join this and you're ready for it, then you call me back, just text me. Quite a few times after that, some of the girls don't call back anymore. But of course, there are a few that will eventually call me back and say, yeah, they're ready for it. But like I said, the interview form was the evidence that got me in. Because in law, as long as you have the knowledge that you are earning in part fully on the Sexual Transaction Act, you are in the wrong it's nothing to do with consent because as long as I have the awareness that they are having some sexual deal, mm-hmm. I'm straightforward in the wrong. So I didn't know about this or not this charge. Were so, other social escort businesses having this kind of form? Yes, yes, yes. They all I, got I, caught. No, they didn't get caught. I was the one and I guess it sent out a message to them. So I, I guess I'm actually a first mover kind of agency. A lot of people took up their practice over what I did. Like the interview forms, because I chanced upon this one form, one of the girls showed to me, right? She said she just interviewed another side. This form looks almost exactly like mine. 
seriously. There's also these two pictures of a human shape, front and back, where I let them indicate where their tattoos are. That form has that as well. Exact same picture. So how did you stay ahead of your competitors then? Being protective of the girls. As long as you're protective with them, I guess you will build a good reputation. A lot of agencies don't understand. They always look towards the money. When you talk about money, it's always the customer first. But I talk about safety first. I side more with the ladies. For example, on the website, if nowadays you search, if you manage to find any escort agency, you will see that they will show either from the mouth downwards or some even from the nose tip downwards. To me, they are Singaporeans. It's very risky. Even by the mouth shape, you try to cover your friend's mouth. Some have very unique smile. You can easily recognize. Worse still, some from the nose top. How can you not recognize me? You tell me honestly. She doesn't recognize. So for me, it's only the chin below. If anyone can be recognized by the chin, this guy is really <laughs> master of face recognition. That's what I did. I saw a female friend on another competitor's website and I recognized her immediately because hers was showing the nose tip and below. I immediately used my work phone to text her. I didn't reveal myself. Say, hey, I'm actually a friend of yours and I'm actually in this industry. And I just saw from the other person's website your picture and that's how I recognize you. I told her, I think it's unsafe for you to be there. You will be easily recognized. Why don't you come over to me? I will take a much lower commission since you are my friend. I told her I just want to protect you. That's all. Then she agreed and she came over for a short while and after that she left. Probably also realizing that this is not a long-term thing for her. Most of these are really very short-term, few months, most half a year, and they'll move on. Speaking of commissions, what was the business model like? In terms of the commission level? Yeah. Standard market rate practice is 6-4. The girls mm-hmm. will take 6 and we will take 4. They were earning 10000 a month. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Quite easily, I mean, because they're local girls, so their demand and their price will definitely be much better than foreigners. Last time when I started out, because like I can say nobody else is doing this, so my price was relatively low. I have to still match with the other escorts. Usually, per transaction is usually like $200, $300. So for me, I start off at least 300 because I know my girls have the quality. Before that, I didn't know the other agency were providing different caliber. So I tried to at least match, but at 300 After that, I realized, oh, the difference is quite big. So I raised the price. And because as I raised my price and I have popularity, a lot of customers come to me. Other agencies realized that I'm marking a higher price and they thought for the same thing. So the price just keep escalating higher and higher. When I was arrested, it can easily be 800 to 1000 My website happened to be Google number one. You even won in SEO game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I paid quite a bit of amount for it, uh. Because like I said, I went into this just to do business. I'm not trying to break the law. I'm actually quite entrepreneurial because of my dad's influence, I guess. So where was your dad in all this? Was he aware what you were doing? Didn't you no, want to no. go back to your family business? No. Oh, the thing is, sadly, because of the economic crisis, the biggest loss was actually during the 90s. Suddenly just cut off all the shares that Singaporean is holding over there. So my fathers have millions inside the Malaysia exchange. There's no warning. They just suddenly cut and you totally don't own all these shares anymore. So he was barely affected. After cutting off, shortly, 97 crisis happened. And then after 2001 crisis happened, competition was getting tougher because of China coming out. And even Vietnam, he's losing market shares. 
to all these foreigners and yet local production cost is rising by the year. JTC, rental, electrical. We discussed about it and he also said that mm, there's no point to stay on. So tell me that it's best to go out to find my own job. Did he know what you were doing? This no, no, no. Nobody knew. Lah. Not my family. I actually went on to work for many years. I was mostly in the sales line. It's just because of this announcement from Mr. Lee that I thought there's a business opportunity and went into it. If you don't mind sharing, what were the profits like for a business like that, being a first mover? Because you were going to expand as well to Asia, Australia. So you must have been doing really, really well. Uh, Yeah, okay. I don't mind sharing that. That was all in the past. Within the two, three years after I stabilized, office was anywhere between 20 plus to 30 plus K per month. There was only one year that was quite badly hit because of this 2012 uh, underage case. You are not Singaporean, so you are not aware. But if any Singaporean listening to this will probably know. So yeah, guys, I'm not the one that was heavily published in the newspaper. Yeah, there was the other guy before me. Mine was very quiet, very low profile uh, because... All the customer who was charged in 2012 are practically the same people because the clients always book from all different agents. That's why there's nothing new out of it. Mine was just keep hush hush and get done with. You were talking about expansion as well. Mm. Yeah, because I believe in reinvesting back to your business, right? So I spent a good near to 50000 to create this system where you just need a SIM card and then put it inside a toggle and connect the toggle to a server. With that, right, I can reply SMS anywhere as long as I have internet access. So first thing I did is hire a admin. With the admin, the system has a lot of beautiful functions that you can add in, like record the client birthday if they are willing to give the birth date. So whenever come near their birthday, right, let's say he's a July baby, once 1st of July, right, we'll send an auto SMS to him, wishing him happy birthday and informing him that for the whole month of July, you will get a discount like 20% during your booking. So before the appointment, one and a half hour beforehand, the system will automatically send a SMS to remind them. And after the booking, right at the dot, also a thank you SMS. Even more amazing is, for clients who are new, have never done any booking before, the system is able to track. So when the appointment is fixed, the system will automatically, once it's confirmed, send an SMS to the escort, the girl, to remind them that this is a first-time customer. Remember to check for cash before you enter into any transaction. Because I don't want them to end up going through a service and then the guy try to play punk and all these things. Don't want things turn ugly. Because there was one, my escort actually went in, right? Then I didn't have this rule yet. She was the one who got me thinking and then I I set this rule. She went in and her practice is always to check for cash first. When she asked to see cash, the guy said, oh yeah, I forgot to draw. Then she said, okay, never mind. I accompany you to the nearby ATM machine. Initially was reluctant, saying, never mind, you stay here. I go and withdraw. But she said, no, 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 it's okay. I go with you. Halfway walking, he suddenly ran off. Yeah. What a jerk. My escort, she was quite vengeful. She went back to the hotel room. She poured water into the television. She poured water into the recorder. Tried to break everything that she can break because it's under the guy's name. (laughs) So you were going to expand and this is when police came. So with this system, I was thinking, "Eh, there's nothing stopping me. I can hire admin anywhere. In fact, I just need to hire three to four admins, you know, doing a rotating shift, eight hours. I was actually planning to officially launch myself in 2015, around 1st of July. 
But unfortunately, I was arrested in 2014, December. So everything came tumbling down. That was when my old life ended. So I was arrested and the day itself, I can tell you, I was so confused and so lost. In the cantonment headquarters, I was at the interview room waiting for my turn. So with my handcuffed sitting there alone, I keep thinking through, firstly, what are the things I can say to try to at least get away or not have too much of implication. But other than that, I also just keep thinking, wishing time can go back to the time before I was arrested and then just destroy all the, the interview forms. You were in prison for six years and five months. What was that like? Hmm. Mixed feeling. Good and bad. Firstly, it was very hostile. There's nothing. Many people still have the misunderstanding that we have a mattress to sleep on or we get to go to the yard to hang out the whole day. Watching too much America show where they go out in the morning for breakfast and stay out in the gym or whatever they want to do and then go back after dinner to the cell. No, we are locked up like 22 to 23 hours depending on the day. It is very simple life and initially I couldn't get used to it. It's a withdrawal firstly from the handphone. There's nothing much for you to do but I decided that I need to do something for myself. I believe that the government took away my freedom but not my time. Although I have limited resources, I still have my dictionaries, my English, my Chinese dictionary, and my sister sent in two Japanese learning books, grammar and vocab. So I decided to spend a lot of time to study, learn new things. Using the dictionary, I memorized uh, new words, increase my vocab. When I read the novel, right, all the words that I don't understand, I write them down. And then once I compile a list, right, I will use a blank paper, write the words on the left side, and then write the meaning on the right-hand side. Then so I will memorize them every other day. Initially, it's the next day, revise again, then two days later, then four days later, and then slowly become two weeks, one month. So this is my method. Do you also find God there? How did that happen? Well, it's kind of a silly to begin with. I was locked up in the court, right? I met this guy. He said, when you go inside prison, I declare yourself as a Christian. because Christian have two movements a week. Wednesday, usually, one is for Bible study and then one is for Sunday worship. Sunday or Saturday. Lah. Huh? Two days? What's a big deal? Yeah, oh, you will learn to appreciate it. Anyway, because I was actually a Christian back when I was a teenager, for a short stint, so I thought, okay, lah, since I was a Christian, I declare myself a Christian. So being a Christian, whenever there's movement, you really go for it. I learned from what was said. And over the few years. Initially, when I was reminded for one year plus, there's no chapel service or this. It's only after sentence you'll get all this. A few years later, after learning a lot of what is taught in the Bible, I realized that what I did was wrong. The first few years, I was quite resentful for getting such heavy sentence, seriously heavy. I even told myself that, okay, now I know what did I do wrong. So I was thinking, okay, then in that case, I do away with the interview form. At least not the very detailed services that they can provide. Lor. I was thinking, oh, I can do this and continue with my life. That was the first one, two years. But as I learned from Christ, from Jesus, what he says, I thought, yeah, this is not proper. Lor. Even if the law allows it, it's not right in the eyes of, of God, right? It's something immoral. I realized that the reason why I got into prison fundamentally is because I have wrong sets of values. To begin with, I don't have real values that was taught onto me. All the values that I learned was all from comics, from magazines, from shows when I was young. What is shown in the televisions and all this. 
adding on because my dad being a philanderer and some of my friends, their fathers are also the traditional type of Chinese guy. With some money, they always try to be funny. So my value was like, oh, doing this type of business, there's nothing wrong. It's just purely business, you know. I thought providing sexual service, no big deal. What they do is their, their problem. Nothing to do with me. That was my mindset. But after learning from the fiber, if I run the business, I am abetting adultery, at least more than half of the time. Let's be honest. <laughs> Young chap cannot afford this type of service. So most of the time, they are definitely married. It's worse. I'm not the one having the adultery. I am helping hundreds of people <laughs> doing that. You actually hinted earlier in the conversation that you don't regret prison. Why is that? that? Oh, a few things. Being an ambidextrous, learning so many new words. I got healthier. I exercise every day when there's open. So I was very healthy. In fact, I lost a lot of weight. Before I went in, I was 80 over kg. When I was at my prime inside prison, I was around 62. So yeah, very healthy and very muscularly built. And like I said, right, it was very dangerous to expand overseas. Right? Imagine this escort agency, who runs all this business? It's not the proper businessmen. They are usually run by this mafia, the hooligans, or something like the secret society, the more shady kind of thing. So imagine I expand overseas, and then because my system itself is very unique, with my system, I slowly encroach into other people's territory. I take away, let's just say 20%. When they do their account, they realize, hey, how come these few months are, every time is like so much profit has gone. They would check around and eventually will find out that this, oh, this guy just came in with his internet website stuff, expanding overseas. And they find out, okay, so I have so many other countries of extension. They will try to contact people of other country and then maybe collaborate. So when you talk about so many countries, the profits is in the hundreds of thousands by the millions if you go by year. So they will see, because, and I love to travel. Imagine when you travel to a place and then they just nice have some counterpart there and they can just arrange for something to happen. They will just use a knife and then just suddenly stab me a few quick ones. I can't even have the chance to turn my head and I'm starting to lose blood and I'll be lying there dead on the floor. Did you think while you were in prison what you were going to do when you were released, how you would act differently as well? I came up with a lot of business model. But of course, that didn't really work out. When I came out, right, I realized the world is moving at a, such a fast pace. That was when I was very lost, actually. When I was released, I wasted a lot of time just lying on the bed, feeling very lost. I came out near 44 years old. I only have a diploma in business management, which is not specialized. And that was like 20 over years ago. And I don't have the relevant group experience. Seven years plus of running a search escort agency and then six years plus of prison. And moreover, at the age of 44, I'm so worried that even if I work hard and four or five years later, I realize that, hey, this is not what I want. This is not something that is suitable for me. Then do I change or do I not change? Because I will reach 50, neither here nor there. In a way, this is my last chance to really do something for myself. That's why I don't know what to do. Yeah, so every day I just lie there. I was so depressed. My relationship with my daughter was also very, very bad. She visited me in prison through this Salvation Army program twice a year. And during that time, we were very close. We were hard and chit-chat. But just when I came out last year, shortly after two, three times of meeting, she started to turn nasty and become very angry with me. She told me that she was actually putting up a facade during prison. She hated me for everything. Uh, 
how do you even start to try and heal a relationship like that? Initially, whenever we call her, she keep saying all the nasty things. Like, I don't see you as my father. You are worse than a stranger to me. Other people are much better. At times, I felt hurt and I would also get angry initially and keep arguing. I was very thankful that shortly after I attended a Christian gathering, I happened to meet someone who was an expert in parenting. I shared my problem and they actually decided that they want to conduct this bi-weekly Zoom meeting to discuss and share about parenting problems or even just our own problem that we are going through. It taught me a few things. Firstly, at home is not about talking about reasons, not about rationing things. It's about the kinship. In Chinese, in Simplified, he told me, 家里是讲亲情的,不是讲道理的地方. So even if your child or your family members are being unreasonable, you should still try to give in to them, to embrace them so that they know that you are loving them. For my daughter instances, he told me that because of what happened, right, it's very normal for her to be reacting this way. In fact, right, she told me that, see it this way, if they give you a lot of nonsense or shout at you or throw their temper with you, it's also because they are comfortable. I know a lot of parents who have kids well, who came back home and wasn't very pleasant. Ah. They will be angry or all this. They told me that this is their way of communicating and letting out their stress. They may be facing a lot of stress in school with their friends. And because they are so comfortable at home, the home setting, that's why they tend to be six over years. And I just came back out. I have nothing. But the thing is, because they move on, they have such good life and I have nothing. There's just so much you can talk about, especially when I just came up. After meeting them once, twice, then I decided it was really awkward. So I was quite lonely. I have no friends. Last year, I was still locked down with the COVID. So imagine I was always at home, still not knowing my direction. I went into depression. I actually contemplated suicide quite a few times. There's nothing to look forward already. Eventually, it's just death waiting for me. So might as well just end it now. I was every day just watching Disney Plus movies, numbing myself until I knocked out every day. Four or five months later, I realized that no matter how bad the situation is, I should start doing something rather than just indulging myself in this unhealthy lifestyle. So I decided to do something, but I still don't know what to do. So I pray to God and I give myself three years to get moving. And if by three years time after you did what you could and you end up still where you are, having no friends, having no future, no nothing at all, then three years later, you can go and kill yourself. This is what I told myself. So I did. The social worker for my daughter and I right, sent me this application form for tour guiding. It says that the only prerequisite is that you need to be an ex-offender. After going through the training, and I start leading, I realized that, oh, I can find a purpose in this. I can do my sharing and hopefully through my sharing, encourage other people to be better and be more appreciative of things. It's something that we always took for granted. When I was inside prison for these six over years, right, the first one, two years, I still don't felt much. But on the third year onwards, I actually miss the sun and the rain on my skin. I mean, I can see them from my room, but I can't feel them at all. Because between my window and the outside world, right, there's still the maintenance zone. So the sky that we see is still far distant. So I can never feel the ray, feel the sun. And you really miss it more and more as the years goes by. I told myself, the day when I release, I want to immerse myself under the sun to enjoy myself fully. True enough, when I released, I did that. The sun felt great. I promised myself that I will never ever take the sun and rain for granted. I will appreciate them and not complain about the weather being too hot nor the rain. But 
just three months later, I was walking along the street and it was so hot that I started to curse and swear, you know. Suddenly, I to remember, didn't I just promise myself three months ago to be appreciative? What am I doing now? I actually felt scared because it's only three months after my release. I went through prison six over years. In just three months, I can forget all these small little promises that I make to myself. Then what more in one, two years to come, four, five years, ten years? Then I'll become the arrogant and ungrateful brat that I used to be. So I tell myself, okay, I need to be serious. I always be mindful about it. And until today, like this year, the weather was very hot during the July, August, even September. I never curse about it. I never complain about it. What I did was just acknowledge that it was hot. You know, I just say, oh my God, the sun is hot. <laughs> but- We've talked about appreciation. Speaking of the tours that you do, every single tour is led by an ex-offender, right? And yeah. you show them a part of Chinatown that most people wouldn't know because they weren't in that kind of secret society. I wonder yeah. for you personally, since I'm sure lots of people have gone the tour, were there any people or stories that really impact you? Okay. So I was leading for this secondary school. After the tour, three of us guides would be giving our sharing on what we've done wrong, what we've reflected on and some advice, right? So I gave mine. I mentioned about my depression that I went through and even contemplated the thought of suicide. In the end, I found myself that this is the worst. Nothing can get worse than this. I work hard. I do something for myself. I am sure things will improve. After sharing, I also didn't think much about it. I started packing. This young girl came to me and thanked me for sharing. She said, what I said just now impacted her. She felt very motivated and very encouraged by it because she was also feeling very, very depressed for a very long time and also always having these suicidal thoughts. I'm intrigued. I want to know more about what happened. So I said, hey, are you free? Can you wait for me to pack a while? Then I walk you to the station. We can talk. So she stayed. After done, we walked and I talking to her. Then I realized, oh my God, she has said worse than me. This girl was 16. Two years ago, when I think COVID just hit, her parents were PR from a third world country. When COVID hit, they have no means of survival, being foreigners and not much of skill. You know what they did? They decided to sell her to Geylang. For those who didn't know, Geylang is Singapore's most infamous district for prostitution. I was so shocked. She told me that she was sold to the Geylang, to one of the brothels. I'm very angry by the stupidity of that pimp there to buy this girl in Singapore. If you are talking about other third world countries, Vietnam, Cambodia, fine. We heard of stories, right? There are child prostitution there. It's a common thing. I cannot judge. But in Singapore context, do you know how serious and how strict our Singapore government are with all these things? I can tell you my understanding from prison, right? Underage, two years ago, she's only 14. Please, this guy would have easily get more than 10 years of sentence. Easily. I suspect it can be up to like 15, 16 years or more. Because it's a 16 years old and you're not just having sex with her underage. You're selling her for sex. I was aghast. She told me that she was arrested a few weeks later. I felt so, so sorry for her. Because it's like a few weeks, eh? it's not just a few days. Eh? That means she went through something. I told her, I'm really sorry to hear that. But I encourage her, I tell her, look at it this way. The worst is already over. We cannot change our past. I cannot change my past. You cannot change your past. Although your past is not brought onto you by your own choice. Eh? No matter what, all these are in the past. So what we can do is look forward and be better and I told her 
with the experience, with the adversity that we went through, I told her, I guarantee you will definitely come up stronger and better than many people because you will be more appreciated. You know what is it like to went through hardship and that's why you will value what you will have. I told her, just don't get greedy along the way. Still remain very grateful, very appreciative with what you have. Strive within your means to get what you can. But if it's out of your means, don't force it. Just study hard and a few more years, you can start working part-time. Even now, you can start working part-time. I told her. After that, when you got your degree, I guarantee you, life will be so smooth for you because you will learn to work very hard. You've been through all the shit. But I told her, please don't share this with anyone your friends, even no matter how close they are, because this may just come back to haunt you. It's already in the past. Put it back in the past. Don't have to talk about it. I told her, if there's a need, go to a counsellor in school or whatever, talk it out. But after that, don't ever disclose to anyone because people may think of you differently. I don't want you to get stressed and depressed again because of this. There's nothing to share anyway, I told her. So that's the best way for it. Just seek a good counsellor. You see, what's the point of letting everyone around you know? If it's your own spouse in the future, then it's up to you. It's all in the past and it's not your fault. What if some people don't understand? Maybe they just make fun of you, mock you. Then won't it make you feel even more worse, inferior? I tell her, I don't want you to go through that. It's not your fault. Tell yourself this. This is not your fault. That's why I, I really don't think she needs to share. If need sharing, then a proper counsellor who is professional enough to keep all this thing up. Yeah. I wonder oh, for ex-convicts as well, what is the best way for society to support? This is a very tricky question because ex-offender, I can tell you about 80% of them or even more are not ready to change. Cruel as I can be sounding, it is a fact. They are still rooted in their old way of thinking. I'm only a first-timer. For many of them, they are since young, 18, 19 years old, 20, they start to go into prison and in and out, in and out. Some have more than 10. I calculated, right, for a 50-year-old guy, about 30 years, he's in prison. He was only out, all add together, one to two years. Can you imagine that? That's not just that one person. It's a common thing among them. Some maybe have it longer, about three, four years. They spend a long decades inside prison. Do you think it's because of prison that they can't break out of it? Because it's not no. like you have any better role models or chance to do something. Correct. It's not prison fault. It's the culture. They are used to it. At a young age, they went in. They are used to it. They are exposed to all kinds of people. All these people inside will not teach you to be good. And if you continue to bond with them, especially if you are drug addict, what are the chances that you will go back to drug after coming out? So these people will be very difficult to change. That's why I say more than 80%. And I'm not wrong because I've seen quite a few guys leaving after me and then after that coming in before I left. But I ask them, how can you back again? They always tell me, Bobian, no choice. You have to understand, they don't know how to survive outside. They have no education. They have no friends. Their friends are gangsters, will lead them back to the same thing. Thirdly, their characters are already set in. They are used to prison lifestyle, getting agitated, very angry about small, small little things. They do not have the right proper value in them. And most importantly, maybe they just keep thinking that their life is over. Sadly, this statement will eventually become true after a certain age, usually after 50 years old. 
because after that you are considered an old man and you have been in and out of prison forever. What more can they do or contribute? That's why as they get older and older, they will be more and more depressing. I'm not saying that there's no chance, but the chances are lesser. A few elderly in their late 50s, 60s, they are telling me they already gave up. There's nothing waiting for them outside. In fact, some of them are so comfortable that they commit some petty theft to just go back in. Laundry is taken care of. Medication is taken care of. Meals are taken care of. Rental is taken care of. So they have everything taken care of. The only thing they don't have is the freedom. It's a very realistic thing. Two questions. Firstly, how do you even identify the 20%? And also secondly, how do you help? They will show their true self within three months. Max half a year. Not counting the time when they are released, but counting the time when they are out of the halfway house. Because some of them will be placed into halfway house for three months or half a year. When no longer held back by prison. Then you can see the difference. So you just see whether the old habits come back. Well, their mindset. You know, how much they always complain. Because when one is not willing to change, they want things to remain the same. They will want everything their way still. They will start complaining when things doesn't go their way. Elvin, our other tour guide, told me, they always say, the society didn't give me a chance. They always look down on us. Elvin will say, yeah, you are ex-offender. Of course, they will look down on you. Huh? You always complain that people don't give you a chance. Did you ever give them a chance by proving yourself? All you did was always complaining, complaining. You didn't even try. We are in the wrong first. Why do we deserve the second chance if we don't give ourselves the second chance? This is what he always advocates. I heard this many times whenever I did tour with him. And I appreciate him sharing this. I respect him. He also said before, those who have full tattoo over the body, always complaining that, you know, the police always find their trouble and all this. Then he was saying, then in the first place, when you go and put all this tattoo, have you ever thought of the consequences? You know, all these are things that people will have some opinion of. Why do you want to complain over your own action and expecting people to be more accepting because of your action? They should be more accepting only when you really show that you have changed and you have become a nicer person. Trust me, by then, your tattoo don't matter. Only those who didn't know you, the police officer, doing their job, seeing someone full of all this weird, weird tattoo and still looking like those are being faced. Uh, some guys have the are being faced, so no choice. They will check on you. But if you have done nothing wrong, take out your IC, show it to him, explain yourself a bit. Why are you doing, what are you doing there, doing what? And that's it. Why do you keep thinking that people are finding fault with you? No, they are doing their job. If they are not doing this, then I will be scared. How can people listening support you? Well, I am certified tour guide by Singapore Tourism. I'm officially a licensed tour guide. I'm going to register myself a company and lead my own tour. So I actually set up a Facebook page. Just search for Nota Tour and you should be able to find my page. It's still very basic. I realize Singapore actually 75% of Chinese and I think a good 20% were foreigners from China, Taiwan. They may be able to speak some English, but their language is still Chinese. If you are going to lead a tour and speak in English, half of the time they will not understand. So I want to provide this Chinese version. Along the way, for all other tour that is in English, I want to do a Chinese one. Of course, I will be also doing English. So whoever would like to experience this trial walk with me can also contact me in the page. 
Fantastic. So, I'll add all the links to this website so they can just okay, go so and find you directly. Once everything is gaining some traction, I'm hoping to see if I can conduct talks to schools, especially secondary schools, and getting LV and the rest of the ex to do sharing. Secondary schools in Singapore are always visited by the police force every year to share about not doing the wrong thing, not taking drugs, not joining gang. But the thing is, those who will listen are the goody-good shoe. The youth at risk, those rebellious ones will think, what do you know? You are police. How would you understand my situation? You have all your life nicely. We can send an ex-offender inside to share. Our ex-offender were gangsters. They were drug addict. They've been there, done that. They can tell this youth at risk, right? Not worth it. <laughs> yeah. I went through everything and look at me. Yes, I'm giving speech here, looks glamorous, but I could have been better. I spent over 20 years of my precious life inside prison. You don't want to end up like me. If we can encourage or change the mind of a few, 50%, even less, 30 20%, just even one guy per talk, I think we've done our part. I am thinking I need to pay the guy because if you do this on a voluntary basis, how many times can they do? They still need to go about their income. I, I call myself very lucky. I don't know, is it God blessing? Uh? Should be like, I always take it as God blessing, uh, no matter what. But for those who are not religious, then just take it as I'm being lucky. Noto, you have had such an interesting life. So many things to learn from. I wonder at this point, do you feel like you have found your why or your purpose in life? I am hoping to advocate more for the youth, for the kids, because of my daughter. She was the collateral damage because of my nonsense. I know that I hurt her deeply. When I was arrested, they confiscated all my money and they posed me a 100,000 bill. No way I can afford it. Lah. Imagine this, the young girl so close to the father. We were very, very close. She always sleep beside me. I always hug her to sleep every single night. I took care of her. I cooked for her. I bathed her, changed diaper, yeah, all the way until she was like six years old and I was incarcerated. So imagine so close. And out of the blue, one morning, the father sent her to the grandma. And after that, he's gone. To her, is forever. She miss her father, but she doesn't understand what she is feeling. All she knows is she's feeling sadness, unhappiness, and she has nowhere to channel all this. Her best friend told me that, you know, your daughter, uh, the first one, two years uh, in primary school, uh, out of the blue, uh, suddenly scream aloud. And there was once uh, her scream was so loud, uh, the whole school can hear, really whole school. I think after that, right, she felt embarrassed knowing that she's catching the attention. What she did next was she always ran into the toilet cubicle and locked herself inside and keep crying there. So, yeah, I know it's tough for her. I'm the one at fault. That's why whenever she was angry with me and giving me nonsense, I try to control myself not to get angry. But it's difficult. Sometimes she doesn't study hard and then not being respectful to her mom or anyone else. Wow. I need to discipline her, but if I scold her or lecture her, then she will be angry again, upset again, getting so much better now. But still tough. She's spending quite a lot, a couple of hundreds or so every month. Her mom is giving her a lot of money to spend. It's kind of scared me as she's living life like how I was. So not into studying and then a lot of money to spend, a lot of freedom. Her mom works from morning all the way to midnight most of the time and even go back to work in, during weekend. So I fear for her. My only consolation is the fact that she is going to church because at least I know I can put my trust in God. If we can't trust anyone else, at least there's God for me trust. If she's not going to church, uh, I can tell you I will be super scared right now because with the kind of money, I keep telling my wife, 
don't let her spend so much, control her spending. You know, she is letting her tie her account to Grab car and she can just happily take the Grab whenever she felt lazy and that's quite often. I just hope that in time to come, she will come to her senses. You know what she told me? She proclaimed that she's a material girl. I was wondering if you also think about legacy and what kind of legacy you want to leave behind. Not much of a legacy to talk about. The only legacy I hope I can leave behind is that I did make a difference in the end. After taking so much from the society, being who I was back then, trust me, I was so arrogant. I hope that I can share my story to as many people as I can. And hopefully with some wisdom, learn from my mistake, especially the younger ones. I want to help more teenagers. In the long run, I want to see if I can maybe conduct a bi-weekly social outing for them. Just bring them out for a simple meal or just do some bicycling. At least letting them know that there's someone out there looking out for them. They're not alone. They don't have to fend for themselves and mix with the wrong crop. What do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person? Since you know, hmm. it's a different part of society for most people. Firstly, monetary. <laughs> a very practical thing. Money, interpersonal relationship, your well-being, yada, yada. The sad thing is everybody only ties success to money. If you are making it, you are earning a lot, 10, 20 over 1,000, even 100 over 1,000 a month. Wow, you are very successful. I once upon a time believed that also. <laughs> but inside prison and after learning all the teaching, right, I realized that success other than money, I think success, uh, money-wise, as long as you have earned enough to give yourself a comfortable life for you and your loved one around you, and having spare money to do good, that is success in monetary-wise. And for relationship, if at least most of the people around you see you are a good person and have high regards for you, you have a good social group of friends, then I think that is success in terms of relationship. And of course, you must have a good relationship with your family. Well-being is to find a purpose in life things because you are sincerely wanting to help a lot of social enterprises if you look deep inside it's really just for the money the third point of being successful is to make a difference in people's life you don't have to be big i think that is the perfect note to end just to encourage everyone that you can make little changes that can impact people's lives oh by the way if anyone who have more questions for me you can go to uh, Lingya to yep. post the question. She will send it to me and I will reply and maybe she can post. I have, have a website. I will create a web page just for you with all the links that you just mentioned. So mm. I'll put it there. Yeah, yeah. I'm very candid. I mean, I've been there. I told you before, everything is in the past already. So if people judge me for what I did, then the bet is on them, not me. I am clear conscious now, unless I'm still doing some stupid stuff. If not, they answer to God or whoever they answer to lah. I don't think I need to feel bad. So feel free to ask me any question. I try my best to answer to the knowledge that I know of. And that was the end of episode 102. The show notes can be found at sodasmywife.com forward slash 102. And stay tuned for this coming Sunday because we will be meeting the Senior VP of Brand Marketing and Partnerships for Playboy Club, who once worked in the marketing and media division for both Sotheby's and Christie's before overseeing the marketing and merchandising for Makeup Forever as VP of Marketing, North America for LVMH. 
It's a fantastic episode on finding a career that suits your talent, no matter how unusual a path that might be. Marketing, personal branding, and so much more. So just stick around and see you next Sunday.